So as Jesus was <clears throat> traveling with his disciples uh, in the book of Luke, um, he asked them a question, and it was a very important question. He said, who do the people, who do the crowds say that I am? <clears throat> and then he turned it around on the disciples and said, but who do you say that I am? <clears throat> I think that that's a really important question for us to be wrestling through as well in our own lives of who do the, who the crowds, who do the, the people say that Jesus is, but then also who do we say that he is? And, and I think that that question of the identity of Jesus, it's important all the time, probably one of the most important questions we can ever ask. But it's especially important at Christmas time in the Christmas season where we, if we don't know the identity of Jesus, if we can't ask, answer the question, who is this person, that we don't know exactly what we're celebrating. I mean, we call this a celebration of carol service. We talk about celebrating the holidays. But if we don't know who Jesus is, if we don't know his identity, then maybe we're celebrating friends and family. Maybe we're celebrating tradition. You're celebrating because that's what your family has already done. But we're not celebrating the identity of Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago. And so then the, the question then for us today is, what is the identity of Jesus according to the scripture? And there's, of course, lots of ways that you can go about looking at who is Jesus. But one way is to, to look at the whole storyline of the Bible. I mean, we've been overall at Hope going through the book of Luke, section by section. But today we're stepping back from that and saying, what is the whole storyline of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation? And what does that overarching storyline say about the identity of Jesus? Who is he? And even for ourselves, as we say, who is Jesus? And then ultimately, our even, even the questions of our own identity, who we are ourselves, is so much tied up in the person and the identity of Christ. <clears throat> and you've probably seen this actually even in the, the flow of this service, that throughout these seven readings going throughout the, the storyline of the Bible, uh, we've seen this <clears throat> unfolding picture of Jesus, that each of the, the readings brought an element, a, a snapshot of the person and the work of Christ that, that comes together for us to be able to answer that question who actually are you? Not just who do the crowds say you are, but who actually are you in reality? And, and answering that is so important for us as well. So what we're going to do today um, is we'll actually walk through each of the lessons briefly. So you can even flip back to, to page three in your, your order of worship. You can also, and there's um, pew Bibles near you. If you don't, didn't bring a Bible with you, you're welcome to to turn to the passages there as well. And, and what we'll see in each of these lessons is this picture, this snapshot of, of Jesus. And so let's look at the, the first lesson from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. Now, if you, if you know the Bible, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, it's the story of creation. And God creates the, the world good, and he creates humanity in his own image. He creates Adam and Eve, and, and he enters into a covenant with his people, and he, he says that if they obey the word of the Lord, they'll have life. But then if they disobey, if they, if they sin against God by eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the midst of the garden, 
that they would surely die. But here um, in chapter 3, we move from this, this good creation, this perfected humanity, to the fall of the world into sin and brokenness. And, and really it comes down to Adam and Eve's sense of their own self-sufficiency, that they, they thought that they could approach life on their own, that they, they didn't need the Lord, and so they listened to the voice of the serpent, they disobeyed God, and immediately they, they realized that they were naked, they were shame, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord in the, in the garden. And at this point, the Bible could have been totally different because it was in the right of God at this time to show up and say, I, I told you that on the day you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you would surely die. And here comes the judgment of the Lord, the just, holy, righteous judgment of God. But what we see is, is the Lord showing up um, remarkably with a question. The, the first thing that God says to humanity after the fall is a, is a question of where are you? And then he presents grace and, and mercy to people who had, had rebelled against him. And this is what we see actually in verse 15 of, of chapter 3. Um, it's the final sentence in the way it's printed in your, your order of worship. And ironically here, God is actually speaking to the serpent, who later in the biblical storyline is, is shown to be Satan, the, the deceiver. Uh, but God, even as he curses the serpent, he offers hope to Humanity, hope to, to us here today. And look at what he says in verse 15. I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And, uh, you know, theologians love giving fancy names for things. And so what they call this verse is the proto-euangelion, and, and it, it means uh, the proto-gospel or the, the first message of good news to humanity, the first presentation of the fact that, that it wasn't over, that God was, was still at work to, to save and to redeem his people. And he says that this will happen through the, the child of Eve called the, her offspring, who is going to deliver a, a fatal death blow to the power of the serpent and to the power of evil. But in the process of doing that, he will suffer. It says that his heel will be bruised. And so what this is, is this, this beautiful window right here at the beginning of the Bible into the identity of Jesus. Who is, is Jesus? Well, he is the, the offspring of Eve who comes to, to crush the head of the serpent and to deliver us from the power of the, the evil one. And he does this through being bruised, through, through suffering. And of course, that's, that's just a seed. You can imagine when you plant a seed in the ground, it doesn't look like the tree that's going to grow up, but the central elements are there. And the same thing here, this seed of the good news that's going to grow up to the, to the work of Christ, where, where Jesus comes as the one who, who crushes the head of the serpent by dying a sacrificial death on the cross for sin. But in the process, his heel is bruised. He, he dies, but then rises again in victory over sin, death, and the devil. And so the, the, the identity of Jesus then isn't maybe what some would think, that it's not just that he's a, a good moral teacher, he is a good moral teacher, uh, but it's far more than that, that he is a serpent-crushing warrior who comes to rescue his people. It's a really remarkable picture of who Jesus is and why he has come. And he does that 
through suffering, humility, death, leading to life and, and resurrection. So that's then the, the first picture, the first snapshot of Jesus. But then the, that seed continues to, to grow. And if you turn the page then to the, the second lesson from, from Genesis 12 and 15. So the, the plant is growing. And this is, takes place about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. So about 4,000 years ago, God appeared to a man named Abram, who would later be called Abraham. And uh, Abraham at that point was living in a city called Ur, that's located actually in modern-day Iraq, kind of southern Iraq. And he told him to, to leave his homeland, to go sojourn in the promised land, which is now modern-day Israel. And he, and he made these amazing promises to Abraham. And, and you see them there um, in chapter 12, verse 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is this holding out blessing for all the surrounding nations that are going to come through Abraham. And then that promise is filled out in, in chapter 15. And it, and it says, this is the Lord speaking to Abraham. Look toward heaven. If you can number the stars, and uh, sorry, and the number of the stars, and if you're able to number them. And I, you know, I grew up in Colorado at a high elevation, and the, you can see the stars like crazy there. And you know, just, just imagine the ancient world where he could look up and see the stars. There's no lights. Um, it would have been remarkable. But God's saying, look at the stars of heaven, and if you can number them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So yet again, here's this, this window into the, the person and the identity of Jesus here in, in Genesis. That, yes, Jesus, he's the offspring of Eve who's going to crush the head of the, the serpent. But we see here that he's also, and he even uses that word offspring, that he is the offspring of, of Abraham who's going to, to bless the nations, who's going to build a, a covenant people gathered to God. And that's actually who we are here today, that we are the nations who have been blessed through the offspring of Abraham. We're people who have been gathered together, brought in, adopted into the family of Abraham through Christ. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And, and the, the way of salvation is exactly the same, that, that we enter into this covenant relationship through believing God. As we do that, is counted to us, the righteousness of Christ counted to us, and we are accepted in his sight through faith. So that then is our, our second snapshot, our, our second picture of Jesus. So then the, the tree continues to, to grow, and you, you turn the page in your, your order of worship to the third lesson from 2 Samuel chapter 7. So after God's promise to Abraham about 2000 BC, he, um, it seems like the promise wasn't coming uh, because Abraham didn't have a child. Finally, the Lord in his old age provided a child, Isaac. Um, and then several generations went by. His descendants ended up as sojourners, immigrants in Egypt. And then eventually they became slaves in Egypt. And they, they languished in, in slavery for 430 years. And eventually the Lord rescued them from slavery through the hand of Moses, brought them out, mighty arm, outstretched arm to rescue them, brought them to Mount Sinai. They received the law into the desert. 
They disobeyed, wandered for 40 years, and, and then they eventually entered into the promised land, the very land that hundreds of years earlier, their forefather Abraham had sojourned, and, and they conquered the land through, through Joshua um, and entered into it. But then things kind of spiraled down into to chaos. It was called the period of the judges where uh, people were, there was no king. People did what was right in their own eyes. It was lawless. So eventually people were fed up, and they said, we, we want a king like the the rest of the nations around us. So they appointed Saul as king, and then eventually he was succeeded by David. And that's then where we, we find ourselves in this, in this next lesson, is, is David the king. And of course, I'm sure that many of us know the story of, of David and David and, and Goliath. But, but what we see here from 2 Samuel 7 is after he had finished basically the work of conquest, there was peace finally, and, and David said, hey, I want to build a, a house for the Lord. I want to build a, a temple. And so he was talking to this prophet, Nathan, about it. And Nathan said, that's a good idea. You should go uh, do that. But then the Lord appeared to the prophet and said, no, you need to put a to hold on that plan. Uh, I have a different plan. Go talk to David and explain my purpose. And, and what we, we see here is that it's not David who's going to build a house for God, but God actually says that I will build a house for you, that I'm going to establish your house forever and ever. And look at actually the way that Nathan says that in 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. He says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So yet again, here's this, this window here in the Old Testament to the person and the identity of Jesus. They, they, yes, he is the, the offspring of Eve who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's the, the offspring of Abraham who's going to bless the nations and, and build a, a people for God. But we see here that he's also the offspring of, of David. And once again, it uses that word offspring. And it says that he will rule and reign forever and ever as king. And so when you, when you look at your little set of the manger on your mantle, um, that the baby in the manger is not just an ordinary baby, but that is the king himself. That is the, the Davidic king who's ruling and reigning and, and building the, the house for David and, and fulfillment of, of God's promise. And so what that means for us here who are um, followers of Christ, who, who know him, is that we're, we're not autonomous people. We can't live how we want, but it also means that he is a king who rules and protects and, and, and loves us and gave himself for us. So that then is the, the third picture uh, of Jesus. And just turn the, the page then to the, to the next picture um, from the fourth lesson from the book of Isaiah. So again, the, the, the tree is, is growing. So we were at David, about 1,000 B.C. And then he, he died and his son Solomon became king. And, and at first... When you're just reading the story, you think, oh, maybe this is the offspring who's going to build a house because Solomon constructs, constructs this beautiful temple in Jerusalem. But then as the story goes on, eventually Solomon, as wise as he is, ends up worshiping idols. 
he begins to walk away from the Lord. And so there's a, there's a division in Israel between the, the north and the south. And then Israel follows the same pattern of Solomon himself, that they start to turn away from the Lord. They start to follow idols instead of the living and true God. And, and, and God, being this merciful, gracious God, starts to send prophets, one after another, who are reminding the people and saying, no, you know the promises of God. You know his judgments. And, and unless you turn back from the Lord, that you will face judgment. And one of those prophets was a man named Isaiah, about 700 B.C., so about 300 years after the time of, of David. And the, the deep, abiding passion of his heart was to see people go from worshiping created things to worshiping God. And as, as he was calling people to do that, he presents some of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus in the whole entire Bible. That if you want to know who Jesus is, it's, it's amazing that one of the best places to go is a book that was written actually 400 or 700 years before the, the birth of Jesus. And, and we saw a few examples of that um, in the readings you heard earlier we, from uh, both chapter 7, 9, and, and 11. And each of these is this, this window into the identity of, of Jesus, that, that he is the, the offspring of Eve. He's going to crush Satan. He's the offspring of Abraham. He's going to build a nation, bless the nations. He's the offspring of David, who's the king. But then he's also, it says, the offspring of a virgin. He'll be born of a virgin, and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the identity of Jesus then isn't just as a merely human savior, but his identity is being fully God and fully man in one person. And that's why, as Isaiah goes on, he presents this, uh, this image of Jesus. He, he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. And then on the throne of David and over his kingdom, who will reign and rule to establish, establish that throne and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And of course, I, I, when I read that, I have a hard time not hearing Handel's Messiah, if, you're, if you know that. Um, but again, this, this Jesus, who is so much more than you would have thought, if you were just reading Genesis 3.15, that yeah, we have this, this seed of this image of who he is. But, but here we see that not only is he God with us, but he's the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the, the prince of peace who's, who's ruling and reigning as the Davidic king forever and ever. And so when we gather, I mean, what we're doing here in, in worshiping Jesus, we're not just worshiping a mere human being. Because that would actually be idolatry to worship a, create, a creature rather than a creator. But when we worship Jesus, we are worshiping the, the mighty God, God with us, who humbled himself to, to save us and to, and to redeem us. So that then is this fourth picture. And you, you turn the, the page to then to the fifth lesson uh, from the book of Matthew. And so after that, the time of Isaiah, eventually the people didn't listen, continued not to listen. They, they went into captivity in Babylon the Lord restored them after 70 years. They rebuilt Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple, and they thought, all right, maybe this is the time that the Messiah is going to come and establish the peace and, and justice and life 
that Isaiah promised. Maybe this will be the time that the lion will lay down with the lamb and, and that we will have our, our great king. But then they, they sat in prophetic silence for 400 years. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. They waited and they waited and they waited and it didn't seem like God's promise was coming and they kept thinking, where in the world is God? But what we see then in, in Matthew is that God is actually working. He's still fulfilling his promises because we're introduced by Matthew to this woman, Mary, her husband, Joseph, these ordinary Israelites um, yet who God is going to use in, in remarkable ways. And, and the text here says that Joseph doubted the virgin birth. And of course, I think all of us, if we were in his shoes, probably would have done the same thing. If somebody says they're pregnant, you're not going to say, oh yeah, it probably is a virgin conception. So he was preparing to divorce her, to put her away quietly. But then the, the Lord appears to him in this dream. Um, the angel speaks to him. And, and look at what the, the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And just there at the, the end, you see that, that window, again, into the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, he's come to, to save his people from their sins. And this is actually the, the primary mission of Jesus, is to rescue us from, yes, from evil. But so often we think of all the problems of the world as just being out there somewhere. If only God fixed all of these other people <laughs> around, then everything would be all right. But the, the rescue mission of Jesus and his identity is to actually save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin, from our prone desire so often to walk away from him, to do things our way. So Jesus isn't just a social reformer. He's not just a political activist, but he gets to the very root. He goes to the heart of all of the, the problems of the entire world and deals with sin. And he does that by living a perfect life that none of us are able to live, by dying the sacrificial death that, that we deserve as just punishment for our sin. And he, he rises again. So as we trust in him, our sin is counted to him on the cross. His righteousness is counted to us. And we begin to receive this, this new identity in him. And then let's look at then the, the next lesson, the next picture of Jesus. And again, the, the, the tree is, is continuing to grow. Um, this is from Luke chapter 2. And we won't actually spend as, as much time on, on this lesson uh, because, you know, for those who are, have been at Hope, we were actually preaching through Luke. And last week we finished up the very end of Luke chapter 1. And then next week we're going to be looking more at this passage in Luke chapter 2. But I, I just want to highlight how this speaks into the person and the identity of Jesus. And, of course, the, the, angel, the angels appear to these shepherds, the the low of the low as they're out tending their flocks. And, and look at what the angel says to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And there's right there in those three words that he is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That You, you see that the, the identity of Jesus shining forth from that. He's the Savior coming to rescue us from Satan 
as the offspring of Eve. He's coming to rescue us from our sin as the, as the Savior. And then he's the Christ, the anointed one, coming as the, the Davidic king, as our priest to intercede for us and to die for us, and our king to rule us, our prophet to bring the word of God. And then he comes as our, as our Lord to, to protect and, and govern and, and shelter us under his wing. And such a, such a beautiful picture just bringing together all of what we've said about the identity of Jesus. But then as we've turned to that final seventh lesson, uh, this is from the, the book of Revelation, uh, the final book of the, of the Bible. And this was written by a man named John who was with Jesus throughout his ministry. But at this point, he's an old man. He's one of the, the few followers of Christ, one of the few disciples, apostles, who, who didn't die a martyr's death. But he was exiled to this island of Patmos about 95 A.D., almost 100 years after the birth of Jesus and the first Christmas. And he gets this vision of what will take place. And, and what we see at the very end of Revelation in 21 and 22 is the most glorious, beautiful, amazing picture of the Christian hope. And really, I mean, we are called Hope Presbyterian Church because this picture that John gives us is actually true. Because if this, this picture of our Christian hope wasn't true, we would maybe have a different, a different name. But no, this is actually what we have through and in Christ. And as, as beautiful as this picture is, it's only possible because Jesus actually is who he said he is, because the, the picture of him is actually true going all the way from the beginning of Genesis. And you can, you can see that we, we said that he was the offspring of Eve who would crush the head of the, the serpent. And in Revelation 20, we see the defeat of Satan. And then we see this picture of the new heavens, the new earth. And it says that there will be nothing wrong, nothing evil, nothing messed up in this new world. But instead, God says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then we said that in Abraham, as the offspring of Abraham, that Jesus is coming to, to bless the nations, to build a people. And here again, we see that, the, the nations being gathered together in the light of the glory of God. And in 21, we, it says, And by its light the nations will walk by the light of the glory of God. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut. So the nations, every tribe, tongue, and nation, coming before the Lord to, to worship. And as they come, though, they, they come worshiping the Davidic king, the, coming to him and, and bowing the knee before Jesus, that every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And they come as those who have God with them. It says that God's dwelling place will now be with man, that he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, a people saved to, to sin no more. And so this is the, the identity of Jesus. This is what his identity actually means for us and our hope. This is the baby in the manger. This is the, the Christ on the cross. This is the, the Christ of the empty tomb who actually secures redemption for us. And so we, we see who he is, but then as we, as we start to see actually who Jesus is, immediately then we have to turn and look at ourselves and say, well, do we even know who, who we are? Because so often we're confused about the identity of Jesus. 
and we, we, we import all sorts of ideas, but we're also so, so confused about who we are, and we, we think that, that we can find identity and know ourselves through money or through success or through all sorts of things that we claim. And, and even at, at the Christmas season, so often we're seeking some sort of life and identity or some sort of joy that we see in a book, but we feel like it's, it's not ours and we wonder who we are. But what the scripture offers here is a, is a different way, that what Jesus gives us is a picture of his identity. And he tells us that if we trust in him, that his identity becomes our identity and that we are wrapped up in him. And so then we actually can say that we know ourselves because we know Christ and, and we know his work for us, his, his life for us, his death for us that he conquered evil for us and so that we can have this sure hope of life in him alone. So let's pray together. Gracious God, we, we thank you that, that you began that plan of redemption and salvation all the way back at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And Lord, we thank you how the, the tree of your promises grew through thousands and thousands of years and and Lord, we know that, that we are still in the story now, the story that you are building of the world, and, and that, Lord, we have each of us a, a place in that. And so, Lord, we pray that this Christmas season that we would keep our eyes fixed on the true identity of Jesus, who he is as he's revealed himself in his word. And, and Lord, I, I pray that it wouldn't just be a head knowledge, but that that identity of Jesus would would come on us, that we would be um, brought into that flood, Lord, that we would, we would come out clothed in, in nothing that is our own, but completely in the righteousness and the identity of Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray that you would give us the confidence that you have rescued us from power of evil, even that with it, which is in ourselves. And we thank you that you have adopted us into a family, that you dwell with us. We thank you that you are our King, our Lord. And so, Lord, we, we pray all of this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.